Hello, and welcome to another episode of Resting Batch Face, the only reality TV recap pod where the hosts are more alarmed by contestants burning marshmallows than by burning their relationships to the ground. I am Dan Paul, joined as always by my good friend and co-host Gwen Kirby. Gwen, I assumed you had hot takes about the best way to produce a marshmallow over an open flame, but I haven't checked in with you. Did that hurt you to your core? I mean, what was she even going for there? Like, there's two different schools of thoughts, right, when it comes to roasting a marshmallow over open flame. There's the char the marshmallow root, and then there's the lightly brown until it's falling off the bone marshmallow root. Neither one of those ends with you just fisting the marshmallow in your hand so it explodes all over your face. Uh, what's your preference, Dan? Are you a lighted on fire or are you a gently toaster? I'm a gently toaster until I fail and then quickly pivoting to claiming that I was planning to light it on fire. It's It's been too long since I, I have roasted a marshmallow, but now at least I know that fisting the marshmallow, while a great name for a metal band, is not <laughs> perhaps the best approach to trying to produce one. Well... As there are two ways to do a marshmallow, there are also two ways to do a podcast, one of which is actually to engage the content that ostensibly the podcast is about. So we're going to pivot to that. This is the eighth episode of Temptation Island. I don't actually know how many are left, but we're running out of time. And this was an episode titled The Tables Have Turned, but I feel like perhaps it was a a calm before the storm episode as things are heating up and not not only with the marshmallows. We're going we're gonna to go back to an awards format. This was an episode where, weirdly, not that much happened, and yet everybody deserves some kind of accolade. And I'm going to kick it to you, Gwen. Who do you want to start with? Who do you want to give an award to? Well, I'm going to start kind of where the episode starts, and I'm going to give my first award to Tom, and that's the Congratulations You Played Yourself Award. Thomas opens this episode where we left him in the last episode, pelting a football at an innocent piece of outdoor furniture. And I mean, where to even begin with Thomas? Uh, the, The crying, the whining, the bitching. And and there was only one moment in the whole episode where he had a glimmer of self-awareness. And that was the moment when he said, congratulations, I played myself. So I couldn't help but give him two different awards. The first is what I'm calling the Salino and Barnes Award in honor of a personal injury firm whose commercials are on basically all the time. Well, not all the time, but if you're watching like late night syndicated TV or something, Salino and Barnes is going to come on and just talk to you like... Did somebody break a contract against you? And that's pretty much how I felt listening to Tom talk about, like, this was even pre-Bonfire, so he has not even seen the smooch. Talking about, once a contract is broken, it is void. I mean, he always sounds like he's trying to pitch you to, like, sign on to his, his personal injury firm. And the other award that I will give him that also speaks to his rhetorical flourish is the Gull Ducat Award. And for those of you who are not Deep Space Nine fans, which I assume is most of you, this was a the bad guy on Star Trek Deep Space Nine who was the head of the Cardassian military. And at, at one point, he's got a lot going on, as you do when you're the head of like an alien galactic military force. But I remember him very vividly once saying, the one thing I cannot abide is betrayal. 
And it's like, for me, it's like the one thing I cannot abide is like, I don't know, like a lot of direct sunlight and too much lactose. Like you have to be at like a high level of self-seriousness to invoke betrayal, which he did like five times in this episode. So many times. I mean, we are not loyal listeners overstating the level of betrayal that he has felt seeing absolutely nothing. And I, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Dan, was I, I was kind of monitoring Weepy Tom as it, as it related to Sophia. And I felt like Sophia kind of looked more done with Tom and his bullshit this episode than I've ever seen before. I mean, she was saying the lines, right? She knows she's still on the show. She wants to stay on the show as long as she can. But I think the look on her face was like, man, I'm 15 years younger than this motherfucker, and he is more immature than I am. That's so interesting. Now, I do want to state at the outset, you are, of course, the expert in facial expressions that say you're done with some bullshit. (laughs) Nobody could possibly reach your heights on that. I I gave her the early career T-Swift award in that it felt to me like her vibe was still, oh, can't you see that you belong with me? I felt like she was really piney, And the fact that she not only tolerated but continued to solicit his weird crotch thrusting in that ill-begotten lap dance suggested to me that she was still in on Thomas. So you might be right. And again, it's not like there's anything for her to do. And it's not like there's any other outlets for like any feelings of anything she might have at this point other than Thomas. But I felt like she was going the other direction and she was just like – she was trying – Basically, she was trying to make it seem like she wasn't trying to break up his relationship, but is fully prepared for when his relationship breaks up. But we'll see, because Thomas, the contract is broken. You the contract is you broken. It is null and void. Is, uh, Jesus. I did give Sophia a award. I gave her the does not own a single shirt that covers her underboob award. I have I've never seen so anyone so committed to under cleavage, but uh, man, she's she's leaning in. You gotta have an aesthetic, and she certainly certainly does. Yeah, I mean, I, I do also like. I mean, again, going back to just Tom's constant legalese, talking about how he's been able to have fun on the island, embrace his quote flirty side while still re- respecting the boundaries. It's like, do you mean respecting the boundaries of like? where Sophia's ass like hits her midriff. It's not as, I mean, again, I mean, these questions, I don't know to whom, to whom the, like the judge would be, because we need to see the terms of the original contract. But like, I'm going to be honest, like the Blake Chelsea pool cuddles and even the smooch was pretty chaste compared to some of the like full body groping wrestling going on between Thomas and Chelsea. Yeah, I literally had a question for you in my notes about that, which was just, Thomas feels so betrayed by this meeting of lips, right? And it's not even like a down and dirty French kiss face sucking. Like it's pretty, I guess chaste is the right word for it. Is kissing someone else that enormous a betrayal? Well, here's the thing, to quote Thomas, it's not the kiss, it's the broken promise the one thing he cannot abide is betrayal. And he's just, what a self-righteous piece of shit. Like, 
His capacity, and I will say, I was thinking about the difference between him and Kendall, who obviously we will get to um, as we go along. And I, I want to apologize for those who are listening who did not were not able to hear Gwen Kirby's eye roll just now because <laughs> this was pretty epic. But like to me, what's interesting about Tom, he has this absurd self righteousness that he believes himself in the right, which I think then throws in in relief, just like. How much, like, how weirdly nihilistic Kendall is. I mean, maybe not intentionally, but just you could never see him getting angry because that would, I think, involve a level of, like, I don't know, present emotion and just not, like, stone-cold sociopathy. I concur. I mean, if we want to move to Kendall, I gave him the It Is What It Is award because that seems to be, now that he's dropped his catchphrase of no rules, it is what it is, seems to be his new hot take on his time on the island. Kendall is nothing if not if not tautological. I mean, let's just get into some great some great Kendall lines. Well, the first thing, this is actually the first thing I wanted to say about Kendall that I was thinking about this episode, because I mean the award that I gave him is God's gift to the producers. I mean, like <laughs> Kendall just he just keeps giving and giving and giving, and the extent to which he's aware of it is unclear. But they must, at the beginning of every one of these seasons, they are looking for a Kendall. And it just occurs to me, like, one of the weirdest dynamics of this show, especially the men, they're four men, and they form some kind of bro connection. But if they did any thinking at all, and had watched the show and processed it, though they wouldn't be there. But setting that aside, <laughs> they would be thinking that like the producers are looking for people to fit certain roles. And one of them is just the person who's going to cheat on day two and is going to be a really weird asshole. The other is the person who's going to be sort of like pathetic. And so it just remind, reminds me of the old line, right? Like, you know, the, the poker line, like if you can't spot the sucker in, the, in your first half an hour at the table, you are the sucker. And it's like, if you can't spot the sociopath in the first episode and a half on Temptation Island, you are the sociopath. And so it's just like really interesting for me to think about what specific training the producers have to be able to sift through all of these Instagram posts and applications and just be like, that's the asshole. And I mean, maybe Kendall doesn't make it all that difficult, but it's not just that he's an asshole. He's this particular kind of asshole that they needed. And again, just God's gift to, to production and to us, I mean, do you want to pull out some Kendall quotes? I mean, like, Kendall is such a rich text that I do think that we do him a disservice if we don't just give him verbatim to the audience. I mean, it's true. I Am I jumping too far ahead if I go to his conversation with Tula? It happens later in the episode, but I mean, it's... It's pretty incredible. I've got all the quotes. I, do you have any, any kind of earlier in the episode quotes you'd like to highlight first? Well, I mean... I love just the phrase like, you know, hopefully she'll hear me out. Um, I mean, the Kendall discussion, the Tula conversation is fantastic. We can do that first and then we can loop back around to Alexis, Nicole, and and the thruple as they are or are not. But I gave Tula the Tula Award. Yes. Because I just don't think there's any higher praise that can be offered than to be compared to Tula. And I think that we would downgrade Tula by giving her some kind of award that is a metaphor or a comparison to somebody, not her. So just her ability to just speak truth. I want to start with the Tula line here and then we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to Kendall stuff. 
it's my favorite line, I think, from the whole show. Low key, you need somebody who can check you. And I was thinking two things. Two things. One, it is in the highest of keys that he needs somebody who can check him. And two, if by check you mean like body check into a ravine. I yeah. I so I one I love that Dan is talking and being really exercised with his little iced coffee, which means that there'll be no way for me to edit out the clinking of ice against the glass. So I hope all the listeners enjoyed that during that last segment. Um, and two, the Tula Award is in fact the highest praise you could possibly give Tula. And I, I want to set the scene for our listeners. It was an iconic scene. So Tula and Kendall and Alexis are sitting on the couch. And Tula says, uh, you know, what if you saw your girlfriend doing the same thing you've done here? Kendall says, I mean, that just wouldn't happen. Tula has a wonderful Tula look on her face. And she says, what if she found someone that did something for her that you couldn't? Kendall, it's impossible. I can say that with pure confidence. It's literally impossible. This is the moment where Alexis gets up from the couch and you just hear her mutter that she needs to do the dishes. I think because at this point, the thought that she's going to have to let him touch her ever again is causing her skin to crawl. Tula continues to sit there and is basically like, you're an idiot. Kendall says, we've already pinpointed and hit what the issues are. It's not really about me. It's about her. And that's when Tula says, you low-key need someone who can check you. I mean, Kendall is an impenetrable fortress. And I don't know that he will ever be able to see that he is capable of doing the wrong thing. I honestly think that the producers from this show should like go work for the CIA or something. Because Kendall, I think his actual best service to society would be as like a James Bond character. I think that he would like never reveal any secrets because he's so good at like compartmentalizing fact from fiction and he would be utterly inflappable because he's completely incapable of emotional intelligence and any kind of connection to you know what's what's going on inside of him i will say i mean alexis here let's 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 get to her i gave her i gave her the colombo award for just just incredible <laughs> incredible or maybe the matlock award for best cross-examination when she gets to that just devastating question that nobody thought to ask so how do I know that you're not going to do the same shit to me that you did to Erica? It's like, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to the club. Um, his answer was predictably sort of incomprehensible and like not even all that interested in trying to reassure her. Like that to me is what's sort of most violent about him is just like how casual he is with her. I don't know. I mean, like we've asked this a lot of times. Do you feel bad for Alexis at all? I feel bad for her at the moment in that I think she doesn't realize that her next best game move is to break up with Kendall and go out in a blaze of glory and let him just have Nicole. It's pretty clear to me, and maybe you won't agree, that she's done with Kendall. Like, I just think, like, the question she's asking of him, I feel like she sees him. And frankly, it's not that hard to see him. I mean, he so clearly just wants to have sex with her and Nicole. He, there's, a, there's that scene with him and Nicole where he's literally like, well, I hope I leave with Erica. But if not, Alexis, or you. Like, it's just, he's like, or alone. 
I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know. His commitment to just getting laid as many times as he can before leaving the island is quite striking. But, I mean, how do you feel about Alexis? I'm starting to feel bad for Alexis. I just feel like at the beginning of this, she was bright. She was shiny. She was having a good time. And now she just looks fucking miserable. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit of an Adam's Family Values, how the the Joan Cusack character at first is just like really kind of energetic in part in her scam to marry Fester Adams to steal his money, but is just so worn down by how annoying it is to be with Fester Adams that like <laughs> she cannot contain she she's not able to project enough enthusiasm to even carry on with her scam effectively. Here's the only thing I'd say as a counterpoint. Like your argument that she is now seeing him implies she ever didn't. Like it's the same calculus now to a certain extent. Unless, I mean, again, unless it's just she feels like she's done enough, she now can sell her makeup on Instagram. I think you're right. It'd be the smartest thing for her to do. And, you know, I, I had a question I was going to ask you at the end of the show, but I will now, I will ask you to you, to you now. So next week, they're going to cut down where there's only going to be one single per person in a couple, which means functionally, Kendall is going to have to eliminate either Nicole or Alexis. Now, do you think, I mean, do you think he is stone cold enough to eliminate Alexis? And if so, obviously it would be smart for her to to quit him first. But what do you think? How is that going to play? I've thought, I was thinking about this a lot at the end of the episode. And I feel like, okay, this is going to sound very crass, which I know will be very tonally out of place on our Temptation Island recap. Um, but I think Alexis is no longer fucking Kendall every night. Like, I feel like I see a lot of ends to these evenings where she's just fucking annoyed with him. And she's like, I'm going to bed. And I think that's not what he's there for. He's there to have easy sex with a woman who will let him walk all over her the way that he's been walking all over Erica. And so I think he will want to pick Nicole The question is the question you asked, is he stone cold enough? If anyone is, it's Kendall. I don't know. I mean, I think I am surprised to say that I think there is a not insignificant chance that he chooses Nicole over Alexis. But what do you think? So I gave her, Nicole, the stupid like a fox award because I really (laughs) have no idea if she's like really expertly gaming the system in order to... I guess achieve the goal of being one of the last people standing <laughs> on her journey, like her crocodile tears about how she could really, you know, fall for any of them. And the look on Alexis's face in that moment, again, just peak Joan Cusack and Adam's family values. Just like, that was incredible. I'm very over Fester Adams. Or is she just an idiot? Or both? Is this just like an environment where she's an idiot in the actual world, but like this environment is perfectly conducive to her manipulating these other idiots whom she understands. I, I do not know. What is your read on Nicole right now? I think Nicole's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like stupid, like a Fox says it all. I, I don't think she's gaming it. I think she's just dumb. And she's in an environment where she's been told that doing well in that environment means ending up in a relationship. Yeah, I mean, that's when Kendall, just him at his Kendallist, 
when Nicole's like, how are you thinking? And he's like, you know, I'm open to leaving by myself. I'm open to leaving with Erica or I'm open to leaving with somebody else. Like he does not say the word Alexis in a way that is just a little bit gross. I will say, sorry, I should have put this quote earlier. This is my favorite Kendall quote from the whole episode. I would still want to hear Erica out. <laughs> oh my God. Hear her out. He frames this discussion that they're going to have as like, he's going to give her an opportunity to prove that she's become good enough for him. He, he has a gift. He has a gift. So why don't we double back to Chelsea before we move on to just to finish the Tom discussion we had before I gave her the inside the actor studio award for her impersonations that she did of Tom when she was irritated <laughs> by him in the bonfire. I will also just point out quickly that she refers to the dogs differently than he does. He said, I miss Beanie and buddy. And she, while impersonating him was like, she was like, Oh, and I miss Bean and bud. Like this already shows they're incompatible. Like they don't have, they don't talk about their dogs in the same way. Like it's never going to work. But what do you, what is your takeaway from Chelsea in this episode? I think Chelsea was making the point that we made earlier, which is that even though Tom is over on his side of the island thinking like she has betrayed him with this kiss with Blake, that like having Sophia motorboat her tits onto Tom's face while they're wrestling in a soapy kiddie pool is like as much of a violation, if you will, of what she wants from a relationship as, as the kisses between the two of them. Um, I gave Chelsea the, she's too drunk to be playing the sports award because <laughs> I could not believe that she did not like break her arm at any point during her flailing and falling. Uh, that wasn't drunkness though. Have you never played that stupid game where you spin around a bat to get dizzy and then you have to run? Like maybe you went to actual sports camps and I went to summer camps for like Northeastern Jews to like pretend that they were athletic, but like that's I went to field hockey training camp at Stanford. <laughs> what, a, what a flex! <laughs> no, I mean that's a, I. I will just say in her defense, I do not think that was drunkenness. I think that was dizziness from that particular well, that particular weird lawn game. Um, I will just say where they're at, and again, I mean this is where just Tom is just completely misreading the situation. I think I mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but it just seems supremely distilled is that he is focusing on acute violations and she is just perceiving him and framing it in terms of what it represents about their chronic problems. And that just makes her smarter than him, which seems to be one of the chronic problems that they might have. I will say, yeah, I gave Blake, I gave Blake the not realizing his compliment wasn't that impressive award. So he says, when you're away, I think about you. And it's like, what the fuck else are you going to do? Like, you don't have a phone. There's no TV. You can't read a book. Like, this this girl is, like, the only thing to do, for lack of a better way to put it. So, again, I don't, I don't think when you're away, I think about you is really as dramatic and romantic of a statement as he thinks it is. But then again, like, we don't come to our dentist for poetry. I mean, the weird thing about the 
Blake and Chelsea relationship is it's the only one in the ladies' villa that could be said to be progressing if we want to use like this show's kind of stupid terminology. And yet they have the most boring conversations of anyone on the island. All they do is just look at each other and be like, I think about you and you're not here. I also like you. And then they like run out of stuff to say. I literally, they're probably going to have to make out because they have no other conversational gambits to take. I, I think she's just using him to help break herself off from Tom now that she's realized that like that's, that's a relationship she doesn't want to be in anymore. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, one does occasionally have to go to a dentist for an extraction. Um, <laughs> real quickly, though, yeah, this is this is why this is why we have we're up to fifteen listeners now per our stats. So, <laughs> so we're, we're really rising on the charts. Um, I will say, I mean, it does raise a question. You talk about relationships progressing in the women's villa. We do have the moment where Erica does say to Jesse that she sort of likes him. I don't know. Do you see anything, anything happening there at all? Jesse has the charisma of like a potted house plant. So and the hair of a chia pet. And the hair of a chia pet. So I think, in a way, because he is so charismaless and kind of gameless, that makes Erica feel really safe, hmm. and that's what she needs right now. Maybe there's a sexual chemistry there that's just not conveying itself to the screen but i don't know that i expect anything to happen there and if it does i think it'll definitely be erica who initiates it which i mean credit to jesse she's in a really vulnerable position right now where he shouldn't be initiating i will say obviously this is a pro erica space and i i gave her the the award for just like all-time best bonfire processing and we can talk about that when we get to the bonfires. But she says one of the weirdest things I I have ever heard. She says, a lot of the things that I fell in love with Kendall for, Jesse also has. And I just struggle to find two human beings with really less in common except maybe height. I don't know what she's talking about. Because it has the dual problem of one, like, those two people are like night and day different. And two, I can't name a lovable quality in Kendall. So, like, what qualities is she talking about that Jesse shares with Kendall? Like, does he also not listen to anything she says? Does he also gaslight her constantly? Like, what is she Maybe talking about? Maybe she just has a fetish for people who, like, still have their appendix in or something. And, like, like that is what they have in common. It's just some base anatomical <laughs> feature. Well, who do you want to get to? I mean, we've got we've got plenty of other people to get to, but who do you want to give give an award to for someone else? I'd love to talk about the the Julian and Kristen situation, and I had trouble giving them awards because they're the couple that I I feel like my real sadness about. Um, and I wanted to give the Kristen the please stop girl you're regressing award I, this episode. I gave her the status quo award, but I see what you mean. There was some regression that, to be honest, probably we'll talk about in the bonfire. I gave Julian the low bar for self-actualization award. We're just like, you know, he, he continues to sort of have these moments where he's sort of thinking about kind of how he felt in various moments in his life. And he has a you know pretty good conversation with, of course, Tula. Like Tula, Obviously. Tula is just a bringer of rain, you know, 
Tula brings water to the desert of these people where the desert is their ability to emotionally articulate. But, you know, he's talking about kind of, you know, his having cheated on Kristen and kind of talking about, you know, how he feels about that all these years later. And it's like, I mean, this is good. This is maybe like seven years later, but in this villa, I have to say, compared to Kendall and Tom, who we have discussed in great detail, and Corey, who will just perpetually get the Bless His Heart Award. Yeah. Again, low bar for self-actualization. Um, but I don't know, is there something you want to say about Julian or Kristen that's kind of not, doesn't come out in the bonfire? Yeah, it was the Julian Tula chat, which I'm like, Tula for next host of Temptation <laughs> Island? Uh, but they're talking, and, and he says, okay, you know, uh, 2014. He and his friends had just chosen their schools. So he's talking about a party he was at when he was 18 years old. And you just, I mean, cheating is is bad. We should not cheat. But he was just so young and they were so young. And that like, that's the cheating that she's going to hold over his head seven years later. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Like at a certain point, you've got to like fucking forgive him or break up with him. But I just, I, I feel sad that he's 26, 27, raking himself over the coals for something that he did when he was 18 that was bad. But frankly, like, you know, I don't know. He didn't kill a man in Texas just to watch him die. You know, he just, he had sex with someone when he was 18 at a party. Sorry, this is, this is a beautiful moment for me because I get to be pedantic with you because the Johnny <laughs> Cash line is, I shot a man in Reno which is Nevada. There we go. Just to watch him die. So in your face. Boom. Admittedly, I I knew it was wrong as I was saying it, but I was like, whatever. I'm just going to roll with this and just let it, let it lie. Anyway, now this will be on the internet for all time for me to, for me to enjoy. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, point of fact, they're also still really fucking young. They're like 25. Well, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, this is a thing that happens if you're with somebody from high school is that you have to grow up together. And like when you don't do that reciprocally and proportionally, it certainly is going to create, create these problems. But yeah, it's hard to tell also. I mean, it just has so much to do with editing. I mean, we'll talk about this in the bonfire and a bonus award that I gave out was just like the Dick move award to the bonfire cutters this week. I mean, they, speaking of people who regressed, like I feel like last week or two weeks ago, we were talking about how they seemed like they really wanted to help these kids out. And they like gave them clips of watching each other process shit. And here, I mean, they were just giving clips that were trying to incite them. And, but it also could be just editing. If they're, if the, the arc that they're going on, that the producers both want, and they feel like is going to happen is reconciliation. They do need to create some drama at this point that they might not reconcile. And so both in terms of the clips that they give them in the bonfire and the way they edit it for us, probably they're trying to show that regression um perhaps more than it might even be there yeah i felt i mean i guess i'm skipping ahead again a little to the bonfire but i i felt bad for julian that that was the clip that they showed but the reason i gave Kristen the like you're regressing award is that he's still not cheating on her He's not even flirting with Sophia. Like they're just playing one of these dumbass past the time we're trapped on this fucking island games. Yeah. And for her to be like, this is just an example to me of like how his priorities aren't straight. I'm like, 
Well, bitch, if you didn't want him to like participate in dumbass parties, you shouldn't bring him to Temptation Island. Like, I, this is not on Julie. Like, what did she expect? Like, they're having a party where they're like wearing like toga shit and playing with champagne. That he's just going to be sitting in the in the corner, like reading some text on self actualization, like focusing on his priorities. Yeah, that was that was an odd moment. Well, we'll we can we can touch on that a bit more in the bonfire if we we want to. Um, I want to give Erin an award, and that is the Author is Dead Award, because her <laughs> fixation on the text of the message that he sent her oh my god, is just like, it, it reminds me of just some ludicrous grad student. It's like, you know this dude. You must understand that they wrote it for him, and it took him 50 times to do it, and he talks so fucking slow that if he's going to say anything in 30 seconds, he probably has to edit out a lot of stuff. Just, like, peel the onion this much and understand. Just, like, look at his smiling, sweet, stupid face and know that he loves you, even though he did not say, I love you, which, reminder, neither did you. And even Chelsea, when talking to Aaron, was like, it's probably not a big deal. I wouldn't sweat it. But Aaron, I feel like every conversation this episode was like, why didn't he say love me? It's like, you know, I, bitch, maybe he did say that. And the producers edited it out of his message. Like, you are overthinking this. Yeah, maybe he said it in the first 20 takes. But it like tripped him up and he got like too wide eyed for the camera. And they're like, all right, we're going to need to cut that out just so you can get through this. Like we're going to lose the daylight if we don't get done with this. (laughs) Well, then I will use this to pivot to another award that is still uh, Aaron adjacent, which is the he's going to lose the fucking farm award for Alex. (laughs) Alex just, I think, got bored. I think he was just like, I can't deal sitting around another night getting drunk, listening to Chelsea and Aaron talk about their boyfriends. So he just, he leaps in. And then he has the line, I'll bet the farm back home she won't end up with Corey. Well, my friend, that is a girl who wants to end up with Corey. What did you make of that interaction? It was stupid to the max. I gave him the Buster Bluth Award for being neither seen nor heard because I don't think I've ever (laughs) seen or heard this motherfucker the entire season. I mean, I think you're right. I think he's bored. I mean, I think he's an asshole. I I have to say I was entertained when his, like, the bomb he's throwing is that your boyfriend is boring, who A, you've never met, and B, you are, as the cryon tells us, a medical recruiter, not a fucking lion tamer. Like, (laughs) boredom comes... Boredom comes in many, in many forms. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it did again make me think of just like the way the show literally operates. Like, I'm sure the producers were like, can you do something? And he's like, I yeah. mean, I don't give a fuck. I'll do whatever you want. And they're like, why don't you just talk shit about Corey? I did really enjoy that it brought Lex onto our screens briefly as in his top talking head. He's kind of, maybe I'm wrong, at least in this segment, he's kind of the Tula of the women's villa. When he's just like, well, it's good that Aaron's standing up to, up to for her man. But also, she's told us that Corey's boring like a hundred <laughs> times. So, you know, I could see both sides. <laughs> I feel like Lex is just like taking a sip of his pina colada. I'll say two things. One, I just refuse to believe you can rise to the rank of 
La Jolla Hotel Concierge if you are boring. And two, there is no couple, I guess except for Julian and Kristen, that I am rooting for more, hypothetically, than some like Lex meets Tula at a like a cast party thing. And they just ride off into yes. the sunset, just like just speaking incredible truths to each other for eternity. That would warm my heart enormously. I, I, I enjoyed it. I think that was the only time he spoke this episode. I don't I don't remember seeing Lex, but he was great. He was spot on. A question I have, I mean, so Aaron again, like Aaron has pivoted so hard from just trying to ditch Corey for soccer players. And she speaks of him now as if he's just like this pure ray of sunlight that just needs to be molded and shielded so it can turn into a star or something. And it's like, she's talking about like, she, she, I guess this is the bonfire clip, but she says, you know, I'm just so proud of him seeing him so confident. It's like, did this dude have like, did he have like a terrible fucking stutter before he came on the show? Like, did, did he like, was he like Boo Ratley? Like, I don't understand. Like, who was he before that just like having a conversation now makes him seem like he's just this incredible, shining, confident star? I don't get it. We spent our first episode of this podcast just talking about all the soccer players Aaron was going to like try to fuck on the island. And that character arc didn't even last to the end of the second episode. I, I will say she does say, and I think this is in the, in, in the wake of Farmgate, talking to these guys has made me realize how much I love Corey. And this, I do think, is the great gift of Temptation Island, is that basically anybody who's not Kendall or Thomas can seem much more impressive simply by not being the random singles. So maybe we can jump we can jump to the bonfires as a way to kind of wrap up some of these couples. I gotta start with Kendall because again like Kendall just gives the best quote. So he's, as he's waiting, as he's in the SUV heading there, he's sort of talking about, you know, what he expects to see from Erica and mentions that she didn't send him a message. And he cites this as evidence that quote, she is still processing. And I'm just imagining a scene where like, she has him tied to a post and she's just like going through different knives trying to decide which one he used to disembowel him. And he's thinking, you know, she's just still processing and I'll hear her out. <laughs> it was just so delusional. Like he has found a way to spin the biggest fuck you available to someone on Temptation Island as like not about him. He's like, man, she's probably just really working through how to craft the message that says, I want to be good enough for you, Kendall. Just like, no, dude, that's not what she's doing. But yeah, he's, I, I am really looking forward to their final conversation, except that I have that frisson of anxiety that somehow Erica will be like bamboozled or manipulated, but I, I don't think she will. I, I, I pray for the great telling off. Here's where I, I think we need to give the producers enough credit. I think... The producers are the ones who will decide who gets to speak first, mm. as well as they're the ones who decide what he is going to see of her. And I think they want to empower her. And I think what that is going to mean is they're not going to give him an opportunity to preemptively leave her. Meaning mm. I don't think that they're going to sh – first of all, I don't really think much will happen with Jesse, but I don't think that they would really want to show her – 
with him in a way that then would lead him to be like, you can't fire me, I quit kind of thing. And yeah. again, just think about the from last season. I've forgotten their names. I want to say Casey and Ashley. The, the dude who just utterly delusionally proposed in the final bonfire oh, God. when it was clear that yeah. she was leaving with this other guy. If she spoke first, if they had let her speak first, he wouldn't have done that because she would have been like, it's over and he's not going to propose then. They then had him speak first just to make it as awkward as possible. And again, we'll see how this plays in final bonfire. But I, I think A, there's no chance she's going to fall back with him. And B... I think they're going to set it up in such a way that they don't give him the opportunity to have the upper hand by preemptively saying he's leaving with Alexis or Nicole or some other blonde that I've forgotten is there that will gain his attention next episode. I agree. And I think that Kendall wants to leave with Erica. So I I think even if the producers... We're going to let him leave with Alexis or Nicole for, for some reason. Kendall really wants to leave with Erica, thinks he'll leave with Erica. And I hope he makes some big speech about it. And then she, you know, she has that knife. She's been pondering. She's had all those knife options. And then she just fucking shivs him with it. Well, as Kendall says, when he watches the video of Jessica, sorry, of Erica and Jesse hanging out at the end of the day, I'll have a chance to see Erica, and we'll see where we both are. (laughs) That we will. Indeed, indeed we will. Let's move on to Corey. So he's the one who gets the next bonfire clip. This is, I think, the dirtiest thing the producers have done all season. I don't think it will have an effect. I think he's too sweet and stupid and kind of like – and just legitimately in love with Aaron to do anything. But the way that they cut that scene with Griffin that we were talking about last week as it being just like – one of our favorites from the show because it was so clearly them joking about being close yeah. and is really just him trying to set up the joke of making like the the like I beat you at lawn games comment. And they cut it in such a way as to make it seem as if the two were legitimately flirting. And again, I, I mean, he handles it okay. He doesn't like – it. certainly – I don't think that that video is going to lead him to escalate things with Amanda – but I thought that was the dirtiest thing they've done all season. Yeah, I thought so too. The way that they cut that off and then spliced it or what's the editing term? They cut that scene off and then the next thing they show is is her walking up to Griffith and him kind of like getting his hand on her ass in a way that's like a little grabby, but like not even anything she's initiating particularly. But the whole the whole way they edited it implied a closeness between the two of them that is just simply not what's been happening. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of, again, is that they know that that's careening towards reconciliation. And so they need to create some kind of, some kind of doubt. Julian also, I mean, they do him, well, I guess they do him more dirty in the video that they show Kristen of him, which we've already talked about, which is just completely standard lawn games yeah. slash, slash dancing. But he watches a conversation between Kristen and Jesse where they're talking about this idea that perhaps he takes advantage of her being chill, which I was trying to understand what chill meant. I think it literally just means not being possessive. And I will say he, he has for this show and reality TV, I would say an incredible capacity to hear criticism and acknowledge it. Like he is the anti Kendall in that regard. And again, short of being like Tula, this is the highest praise we could offer anybody on the show. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think 
The reason I feel for Julian so much is that every critique she makes of him, he kind of takes on board. And I think the question will just end up in her court kind of the way that we've talked about it the whole time, which is that like, is his complete self-abasement going to be enough to make her trust him? And it's always upsetting when I have to give praise to Mark Wahlberg. (laughs) I don't like doing it, but... You know, Mark Wahlberg is basically like, oh, this stuff you're saying feels like you're just kind of falling back into your old patterns of not wanting to talk about anything and then blaming him for that. And he's not wrong. A dark day. A dark day. Mm-hmm. We, must, we must praise the, the therapeutic gifts of Mark Wahlberg, who I'm sure, I'm sure has a clinical background before he got into reality <laughs> TV hosting. Well, speaking of a clinic, all right, Tom, I just have to point out, I have to point out that as he enters this bonfire, he is so subdued that he is wearing a polo shirt that can only be unbuttoned by two buttons instead of his (laughs) usual button-up shirt, which can go all the way down to his belly button. He watches what we have called the chaste peck betwixt Chelsea and Blake, and he says... She's cheating on me. Confirmed my suspicions. And I do have to say, the only times I dislike Julian in this show is when he is offering comfort to Tom. And and Julian says, well, now you know. And it's like, what do you know exactly? Did she kiss the fucking dentist on this dumbass TV show that you dragged her to against her will? Yeah, I was like, Julian, come on, you're too good for this. You don't you don't need to be on, on Tom's side. I mean, Tom has so many quotes. Uh, there's the moment where he says, like, she was so worried about, you know, what I would do that she never looked into the mirror to see if she was going to be the sort of person who would, you know, I don't even remember what, like, betray me. <laughs> betray. Literally, my whole note for this section is just, betrayal all in caps with like 15 exclamation Let me ask you a question. Have you ever in your life been what you felt like at the time was betrayed? Like, have you ever in your life felt that the word betrayal was accurate to describe something somebody has done to you? No, because I've never entered into a blood pact with a fellow sorceress and then have them imprison me in the dungeon while my enemies ravaged the Seven Kingdoms. I mean, no, I've never fucking used the word betrayal. I've had people hurt me, disappoint, you know, all like the normal shit. But no, no. How about you, Daniel? Have you ever been betrayed? Well, there was this one time where my class was very kindly taken out to dinner by our rich professor. (laughs) And we had gotten the first two courses and I asked my very dear friend, I said, I have to go to the bathroom. Can you make sure that we order some entrees? And I got back to find out that the opportunity for entrees had passed and then my friend had done absolutely nothing. That was a moment where I felt betrayed. That's devastating. I hate hearing that that happened to you. That's very upsetting. Look, it all happened so fast and I was already full. I don't know. Well, anyway, <laughs> moving on to Erin. So, again, she sees Amanda and Corey just being kind of chill. Actually, there's something about Corey and Amanda that I wanted to ask you that came up earlier or maybe was part of this conversation um, when we saw it before Aaron saw it, where he's basically saying, like, I see myself with Aaron, but if I'm not with Aaron, I could see myself with you. Like, is that a dick thing to say or is that a nice thing to say? I think that's a dick thing to say in normal life. 
<laughs> like that would be fucked up. But it's I don't think it's a dick thing to say on Temptation Island. <laughs> right? I, I think mean, you're I right. Know. I think that's the perfect answer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's always good to remember that we are not, in fact, describing normal human interactions. Here's my question, though, about Aaron watching the bonfire. And obviously, like, look, she's keyed up to 11 with this idea that Corey is going to leave her, which is weird to me because just the more I see him, the more I get the sense this is like one of – this is the anti-Thomas. Like, he seems to be, like, the least flirtatious person that I've ever seen on this show. Like, it's almost impossible for me to imagine that their vibe at all back home is like him hitting on people because he more seems like somebody no. who doesn't even under, doesn't even perceive that people are talking to him, let alone that they might be flirting with him. So, like, when she sees him and she says, I see that I'm losing him, it's like, do you know him? Like, you're clearly not losing him. It's very strange. I, I mean, she just sees him... It's like she has like two completely different things operating at the same time. On the one hand, she's like, I want to see him being really like confident and laughing and doing these things. But then she sees him doing them and she says, I'm losing him, which, you know, I I don't think that they're the same thing. I just, she is, she's at 11 and she is so in her head that like, I feel like she could have seen him like playing with a cat (laughs) and she would have been like, I'm losing him. I will say any. You know, if he wants Aaron, I wish him the best with Aaron. I hope they're all very happy. I think he would have a chiller, kind of happier life with Amanda. Amanda seems very, too. very sweet, and I hope she finds I hope she finds her own slightly clueless La Jolla concierge that that makes her as happy as she as she deserves to be. Well, moving on to people who obviously deserve happiness. So Erica watches Kendall have this conversation with I don't even remember now. Was it Alexis? Oh, Alexis, Alexis. right? Because this is Alexis's Matlock moment where she's yep. like, what happened with Erica and why won't it happen with me? And what he says is so unintentionally telling because what he's trying to say is there was passion, but the passion subsided. But what he says is there was compassion at first, but the compassion subsided, which is the Kendallest thing. Just like, I have no compassion for this other human being. And Erica, again, just this is where I mentioned her award for just the best receiver of bonfires. Like, such a boss. She just shakes her head and is just mm-hmm. like, to a certain extent, I did this to myself, like putting myself in with this asshole. And then that heartbreaking anecdote. I watched oh my mother sacrifice so much and then every night sleep on the couch and cry. And it's being like, I don't know what love is supposed to look like. I will say at the very least – you do know what it is not supposed to look like. It's, that was a heartbreaking story. I mean, Erica has just gone through this transition where her first two bonfires, was it her first two or her second and third, whatever, are watching her boyfriend have sex with Alexis and then watching her boyfriend have sex with Alexis and Nicole. And ever since then, she just walks into the bonfire with this look on her face that says like, bitch, bring it. Because she's just not, it's like she's not afraid anymore. It's a beautiful thing to see. And I I have to say, Dan, I didn't think that Kendall misspoke and meant passion. I think he meant compassion. I think it was his way of saying like, yeah, I was willing to put up with the fact that she had imperfections that made her not good enough for me at first. But as it went on, I wasn't, which I think was true. And a great example of why he's a sociopath that she shouldn't date. Yeah. 
I, I don't know what the next step for Erica is. I don't imagine it's Jesse. Therapy. Therapy is the next therapy step. Not at help. an outdoor barbecue. Real therapy. I feel like her and Lex, maybe if they met in the outside world. But then again, I could ship anybody with Lex. Yeah, I love Lex. Lex and Tula, I've, I've realized actually the only couple that I'm more invested in them being together is Shoda and Avishar. But we'll save that for <gasps> our we'll oh save God. that for our, we'll save that for our top I... chef discussion. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold it in. <laughs> Finishing up, so Kristen again, more dirty pool. Like they show her, they had no shortage of clips of Julian just bearing his soul about loving Kristen, yeah. and they show her this pool party or whatever. I mean, again, maybe they just tell them like, don't say. Obviously, if that's the worst you have to show me, then there's nothing bad to show me. But if that's the best they can find is him like, like, of course, somebody's going to be on his shoulders. He's the tallest person ever. Yeah, he's like the size of a barn. Like, did you, there was like some scene where his legs were spread and he was wearing shorts and like his thighs are bigger than my torso. Like he's a he's huge. And the person on his shoulders is the like Tom girlfriend. Yeah. And she says, so obviously Kristen says right now, it feels like I have more love for him than he has for me. It's like, I know you're going through a lot of shit. You're stuck on this island, but like, there's a lot of things you can criticize about a lot of people, but I think it's, I think it's safe to say that Julian has as much love for you as anybody. So you, you kids, I still think you kids are going to be just fine and just don't let them fuck with you. Lastly. So Chelsea sees the lap dance and I have to say in her eyes, it was more disturbing like when it happened earlier in the episode, I think I was able to look away, but something about knowing that she had to stare at it made me stare at it too. I will also say my favorite moment is just Aaron, just out of nowhere, is just like, I fucking hate that girl's voice. About <laughs> Sophia. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, you know, I I feel like Tom, maybe when he practices his lap dances later in life, like I don't know if we need like your crotch directly in the woman's face. Maybe like keep the lap dance in the lap area. That's just my personal preference. But you know, when Chelsea sees the clip, she says, when I see these clips, it makes me not miss him. Yeah. And I think, you know, what more is there to say? Kinda. Hard same. I do not miss <laughs> Thomas either. So the last thing we'll kind of end with here is, so next week they're going to have to cut down. So it's one to one. And most of these couples are pretty pretty set up. Like it's obviously clear, Chelsea is going to keep Blake. Tom is going to keep Sophia. Corey is going to keep Amanda. I think pretty clearly, Erica is going to keep Jesse. There are some people though. I do have some questions with. I mean, will Kendall pick Alexis or Nicole? Is the big dramatic point that you know we still we still need to we still need to get to the bottom of. But who do you think Aaron, Kristen, or Julian will keep? I feel like Aaron will probably keep Griffin. Yeah, that makes sense. I hope Kristen keeps Lex. And I certainly hope Julian keeps Tula just for the convos. I think Julian might well keep Tula. I think it was... Uh, his his other option's Maya. We didn't right? see her but at like, all in this We episode. didn't see any Maya. And he didn't like what she was doing. Oh, Chicken Chickengate. 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 <laughs> Chickengate. So long ago now. Um, so I could see her. I could see him keeping Tula. Who else are we missing? No, that's everybody. Everybody. Yeah, they, they fade pretty quickly. Well, we have now done the amazing feat of talking about this Temptation Island episode <laughs> for longer than this Temptation Island episode actually took, which which uh, is always a good sign. So we're going to cut it off here and just say again, 
Thank you all for busting our listener statistics into the stratosphere. Like I said, we're up to 15 (laughs) and climbing, but that just makes it all the more unforgivable that none of you have sent any questions or comments to at batch underscore face on Twitter or resting batch face at Gmail. We are really excited for our mailbag episode. Looking at you, Molly and Julie, who admitted last night that you've been watching Temptation Island, hit us with your questions. Everybody else, you are forgiven. <laughs> but not Molly and Julie. <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and we will we will catch you, we will catch you next week. Thanks all.